0: I know words, I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello. Happy Friday, everybody. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I, of course, am your host, the one and only voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Thank you all so very much for tuning in once again. If you're not familiar with the show, I talk about politics and current events, a little bit of economics from a libertarian point of view. And there's been a lot of things going on this past week. It's basically like three months worth of news crammed into three or four days and it's been pretty crazy to watch happen we had i mean i went over some of this stuff in the last podcast with um you know we had the the whole impeachment thing coming to a head in the senate we had the state of the union address and uh, the iowa caucuses and We finally got the Iowa caucus results in. I think late last night they reported 100% of of the uh, voting in. We finally have our winners and losers, so we're going to go over that, and I'm going to recap some of the State of the Union. And um, Oh, I have some good news to report on the bookshelf delivery front for anybody um, still wondering. Whether or not I was going to do, I don't know, a fourth podcast without getting a a bookshelf delivered. And like I said on the last one, I had to cancel the order that USPS was delivering or attempting to deliver. I had to cancel it twice. That one's done. I bought a different shelf from uh, Wayfair instead of Amazon. Completely different company. They FedExed it over. I got that the day before yesterday. And in, in true typical Profita Luck fashion, you know, it's a five shelf thing. So it's got five separate shelves on it. Three of the five shelves were, were damaged coming over. Two of them very badly. You know, they were split. You know, it was a kind of cheap Chinese horseshit, you know. But um, I, I don't think I got the coronavirus from it. So uh, or at least, I don't know, maybe it's too early to tell. But um, three of the five shelves were damaged, so I had to put in a claim to get three additional parts delivered. And that, that was pretty easy. Just went on their site, asked me what was wrong with it. I clicked a few buttons, and I told them I needed three new shelves. And they said it was going to take like two and a half weeks to deliver the, these parts to me. What they ended up doing was just sending me an entire new shelf. So I got a whole new thing in yesterday. So the next day... They sent me a new shelf and you know, that's great. It got here very quickly. I would, I would call this a a free market win free market for the win, dunking on your government run delivery services. I got two shelves in a matter of two days where the U S postal service still hasn't delivered one. I have no idea what they were doing to this day. Um, I haven't gotten an update on any of those deliveries either, but whatever. They can go fuck themselves. Uh, the only problem is now I have like seventy percent of a shelf to deal with. I don't know what the hell to do with it. I guess I'm just going to toss it out back, let people pick it apart for scraps. Um, but yeah, so that whole ordeal is over. I also got a, a an email from Wayfair. They're going to offer me ten percent off my next purchase. You know, for for my troubles is more than Amazon ever offered me. Um, and, I mean, I went through a lot less trouble with Wayfair getting a new shelf than I did um, all this back and forth with Amazon and the postal service, but whatever. Um, that's all behind me. So, so J- Johnny, uh, the voice and soul, so-called fiction, is in better spirits today. Uh, I'm going to try not to uh, rant and rave into the microphone too much. Um, maybe keep the profanity down a little bit today too. We'll see. Can't make any promises because God damn it. <laughs> we, we, uh, so we saw some pretty amazing stuff happen over the last couple of days. And, you know, we had the state of the union address for those of you who didn't watch. I, I don't know why you didn't watch this one. As far as these things go, you know, I don't know why they call it a state of the union address. Because it's just a political speech. That's all it is. Nothing Donald Trump said reflected the State of the Union at all. Uh, You could basically take everything that he said, assume the opposite to be true, and that would be the State of the Union. But I, I still don't understand how you don't watch this one, seeing as it's Donald Trump, he's got Nancy Pelosi sitting right behind him the day before uh, impeachment goes to the Senate to, to vote to remove, potentially remove a sitting president from office for the first time in, in U.S. history. And, and I mean, I, I don't know, there was just so much potential for political theater. I, I guess I kind of geek out on this stuff. Maybe everybody else doesn't feel the same. I mean, the the speech itself is just nonsense. I I sort of recorded it, and I went in about 20 minutes behind schedule so that I could fast-forward through all the nonsense. Because they do this thing, at just all these political speeches, every State of the Union address, they'll say a sentence, and then you have to have like a 20-second pause for either Democrats or Republicans to stand up and clap. And it's just, it, it is tough to watch. I will give you that. But the political theater here was just off the charts. It starts out with Nancy Pelosi introducing him. And I guess she didn't use the proper phrasing, you know, she didn't say that it was her distinct honor and blah 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 to introduce the the president of the United States. She just said, like, ladies and gentlemen, president of the United States. And so Donald Trump walks in and he hands uh, the, the, the speeches to Pence and, and Pelosi, and Pelosi reaches out to shake Donald Trump's hand, and he snubs her. He, he just turns right around. Uh, some people are saying, oh, maybe he didn't see the hand. I think he saw it. I think he saw it, and he said, screw you. Why? I mean, I, I would feel the same way. I, I wouldn't shake that broad's hand. She's, she's impeaching you. <laughs> she's trying to get you removed from office. So I don't blame him for that. And then, after all of you know, Donald Trump's hour-and-a-half-long political grandstanding speech, full of all sorts of nonsense that I'll get into in a minute, Nancy Pelosi tears up the speech. She tears it up. It took her, I don't know, she had to break it down. I guess it was a pretty long speech. There were three different piles of paper, and I don't know if she couldn't tear them all at once, and being uh, you know, so old and feeble, she needs to... <laughs> There's all these jokes going around about how how she has to, like, drink uh, the blood of of fetuses or something to stay alive every morning. But um, she tears it up three different times uh, on camera, and that really got every Republican's panties in a bunch. And, you know, I mean, it's great. I've had so much fun with it. If you haven't been following me on Twitter, you've really been missing out because I have been— Crushing Twitter the last couple of days, just with all of this State of the Union address uh, fiasco and the Iowa debacle. And, you know, it's great political theater and it's funny. All the memes are hilarious. I made a bunch of memes. Uh, It's so much fun to just joke around about this. Here's like the ridiculous thing that's lost in all of this is that, yeah, sure, Nancy Pelosi can. Can feign all this outrage and show how how angry she is and how she's rebelling against Donald Trump and she's not going to take his crap. Meanwhile, she signs off on all of his all of his legislation, all of his agenda. It just gets passed. Uh, all of this authority, you know, I'm not going to stand for his authoritarian nonsense and all his lies and his lawlessness. And then something comes in front of uh, the Congress for. A reauthorization of, of all these authoritarian programs, the Patriot Act, the NDAA, um, yeah, I mean, you name it, 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 they sign off on it. They're signing off on his budgets. They're signing off. You want to stop Donald Trump? You, you want to stop him dead in his tracks? D- defeat his agenda? Try not raising the debt ceiling. How about that? How about you just don't raise the debt ceiling? Then all of these unprecedented deficits that he's um, embarking on to goose this economy, which I'll get into in a little bit. That all goes away if you don't raise the debt ceiling. You could stop him dead in his tracks if you really wanted to. No, no, no. They just want to appear to be against Donald Trump and appear that it's like professional wrestling. OK, the, the, these two parties, they pretend like they're duking it out and they really hate each other and they're fighting and one's good and one's evil. And meanwhile, backstage, they're all getting together, laughing it up, yucking it up and, and, and supporting each other. That's the real problem here. Stop getting caught up in all of this this theater. This is bread and circuses. This is, uh, you know, catnip for the American voter. Republicans, it gets them all enraged. You know, this is the bulletin board material I was talking about a couple podcasts ago. This is only going to anybody who was supporting Donald Trump or on the fence leaning towards Donald Trump sees what Nancy Pelosi did. And and all of these statists who believe in this idea of government and this religion of the state—they are up in arms over this, and they are going to vote even harder. Okay, it's not going to make any difference in terms of actual policy outcomes or changes in their lives, but in terms of who gets uh, re-elected or elected, it could—it could make a difference. And they are going to vote even harder, and then the Democrats get to use this just as, 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 to show how defiant they are of Trump, and they're not going to take his bullshit and meanwhile nothing is going to change nothing is going to change. so don't get caught up too caught up in this yeah it, you know pass around some memes make fun of this whole thing have a good laugh but just remember that they don't really believe in stopping any of this in rolling back government at all Nancy Pelosi doesn't believe in not supporting Trump because when the rubber meets the road and a bill comes up for a vote or legislation comes up for reauthorization they're in lockstep she supports everything Trump do- Trump does you know they moan and, uh, and moan about all this abuse of power and then they re up all of the legislation that increases the power of, of the executive branch And the government in general. Uh, Like I said, the Patriot Act, NDAA, all these spying apparatuses. It's basically automatic. They they don't even really debate it anymore. It's just a matter of how much pork they can pile into these thousand-page bills, and then they pass it. So don't let yourself become distracted with all this political theater. Have fun with it, but keep your eye on the prize here and and realize what they're doing. They're, They're playing us all for fools, okay? And... You know, as far as the the state of the union goes, uh, I was a little surprised that Donald Trump didn't do more shit talking. Uh, I envisioned a lot more uh, of him just laying into to Democrats, laying into the media. Um, he didn't mention impeachment at all, which I thought was interesting. But he did have that the quintessential Donald Trump shit eating grin on his face the entire time you know, puffing his chest out, shoulders back, head up. He is just so proud of himself for all of these phony accomplishments. And, I mean, my, my, the the best part about all of this is to just watch the, 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 the camera pan to Donald Trump. He's smiling. He's proud of himself. And then it, it spins around, and you just see all of these sourpussed Democrats sitting there that just can't stand it. And... I mean, that's just the way... My personality, I just love taking pleasure in the misery of others. Maybe that makes me a bad person. I don't know. But I love seeing how upset he makes all of these Democrats. Even when he says stuff that they should be clapping for, they just can't bring themselves to do it. You know, they're dying inside. But yeah, I mean, these speeches are just ridiculous, man. Everything he says is just untrue. I it would be amazing if we could get Ron Paul to do one of these spe- like That would be one of the best aspects of of having him win election for presidency is that he gets an hour and a half, or as long as you want. I mean, you can go on forever. Donald Trump talked for 90 minutes. Could you imagine having Ron Paul on stage for 90 minutes with the entire country watching, and he just gets to drop some fucking truth some real truth about what's going on and the actual state of the union or like a the great Tom Woods gets an hour and a half to just talk about what government is really about it would just be so incredible to get a a real uh, true libertarian president up there that could just captivate the nation like that Um. Man, I mean, nothing Donald Trump said <laughs> resembled the State of the Union at all. It, it would be nice if, if the country resembled what Trump was talking about, but it was literally the opposite of everything he said. I, I mean, I, I tweeted out before the he started talking, you know, like the funniest part about tonight is going to be watching Donald Trump talk about how uh, the State of our Union is strong right before he, he, his impeachment goes to the Senate. When we're more divided politically than ever. it It's truly, and then of course he he one-ups me and he says it's stronger than ever, which I, I don't know how I didn't see that coming. Of course, it's always stronger than ever under Donald Trump. Everything's better than ever. He knows more than, ev- than probably everybody. Everything's tremendous. It's the greatest economy than ever before. That was another thing he said. The greatest economy ever ever we're seeing unprecedented economic growth okay we've never seen economic growth like this we've never seen job growth like this wage growth like this Uh, unemployment has never been this low everything is the best it's ever been uh, because it's donald trump that's his brand he's the greatest it's always the greatest right and somehow we have the largest deficits and the same economic growth measurements that we had under obama I mean like I talked about it a couple podcasts ago. 2.1% uh GDP last quarter. That's paltry. That is paltry ladies and gentlemen. And we've taken on incredible amounts of debt to to try to buy higher GDP growth. And and all we can muster is 2.1%. 2.1% and I mean like the the highest I think it's gotten is like 2.9. You know, he, he's He's, doing the, he's got the exact same economy we had under Obama that he was criticizing as a candidate. And if you think back to our discussions that we've had on monetary policy and monetary stimulus and how the Federal Reserve is trying to inject economic growth into the system through monetary stimulus, you should know that in reality... All they're doing is is making all of this worse. They're making everything worse off in terms of economics. So you're gonna have to go back and listen to those episodes if you haven't already. But I, I I'll go over it really quickly. The stimulus, all this economic stimulus, all this monetary policy from the Fed, that is like a drug. Okay, it's heroin. It's monetary methadone. All right, and what they're trying to do is get the entire economy, the entire country high on this drug to make it feel like we have this great economy, like we have all this economic growth. That is their goal. That is their stated goal. Now, all of this, all of this does is make you feel good while you're high. Think of a heroin addict, right? It makes you feel good in the short term while you're doing major damage to yourself over the long haul. The more of the drug you take, the less positive effects you feel as you build up a tolerance, right? Over time, it it takes more and more heroin to feel like you did the first time you took it. Monetary stimulus is the exact same thing, okay? So we have to keep taking more and more of this stimulus. We have to keep going deeper and deeper into debt, running larger and larger deficits, to try to get the same amount of economic growth we got in the past. That's what's happening right now. We're running trillion-dollar deficits to achieve paltry economic growth. And we used to be able to run smaller deficits and get higher economic growth than we were getting in terms of GDP. Of course, none of this is real economic growth, as you already know. It's all an illusion. But eventually, just like with heroin, You build up such a tolerance that you don't feel anything good at all when you take these drugs. And you end up having to take so much that you overdose and you kill yourself. And that's what we're in the process of doing to the economy right now. The stimulus is the disease. It's the addiction, okay? The the recession is the cure. The recession is rehab, and that's what we need. And your government will not let us put our economy ...into rehab. They won't let us check us in. They just keep pumping us... ...full of all these drugs... ...every time the effects of the previous... ...dose of drugs starts to wear off... ...and we go into withdrawal. So every time we start to feel... ...any negative effects from all of this... ...monetary stimulus and all of these... ...drugs that they're pumping into the economy... ...they just pump us full of some more. Until eventually they're gonna kill us. It's only a matter of time. Now, how much time, like I said, I have no idea... Nobody does. Well, one thing about economics is it's it's impossible to time. Uh, markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. I They've already kept this game going a lot longer than I thought. But eventually, these economic chickens will come home to roost. The other thing that's just sort of uh, uh, unbelievable to watch is just... And we got to see this um, under Obama after George Bush with the Democrats. And you got to see it under Bush with the Republicans after Clinton. And now you get to see it again with the Republicans under Donald Trump. It's just how quickly all of these uh, people who, who vote Republican support the, Rep- the Republican president just because he's a Republican, regardless of how he's governing. I mean, Donald Trump spoke for 90 minutes. 90 minutes or so, and he didn't talk about cutting anything. There was no mention. Not one thing was mentioned uh, uh, as, a, as a cut. There, there was no program he was going to cut. There was no cut to spending he talked about. He's just going to add things. He talked about adding an entire branch to the military in his Space Force. I mean, that's all he's done, which is going to be an astronomical waste of money if you see what i did there i mean we couldn't just even if we needed a space force which we don't but can't you just roll that into the air force you have to create an entirely new branch of the military i mean this is going to be a money pit the likes of which none of us have ever seen oh my god is that going to be a waste of money but you know he made this big deal again about how we're not going to become this socialist country, and he even had his uh, Venezuelan puppet Guaido up in the uh, in the stands. He he pointed him out, and then almost in the next breath, he talks about how he's ne- he's going to save all of these socialist policies: social security, Medicare, Medicaid, the military. This is all socialism. This is Republican socialism. We we have two parties now. One are, are full-blown socialists and, and the Democrats, and the other one is, is socialism light in the Republicans. I mean, they, they want the exact same things that the Democrats want. They just want it like 80% of the way. They want Medicare, you know, for people over 65 or 50, whatever it is. But uh, Democrats want it for everyone. Uh, okay, Th- there's the big difference in the political spectrum. And he, he talked about paid family leave. He wants to force employers to pay for for their employees' family leave. Uh, oh, okay. Does this sound like a Republican to you? Does this sound like a, um, a party that's interested in rolling back government a little bit? Uh, with no mention of cutting anything? Which, by the way, if the economy is as strong as he says it is, we have... Tremendous economic growth, the greatest in history. Everything is tremendous, and we're only going higher. Everything's getting better. Why not start cutting things? I mean, if we can't cut a little bit of government now, if we can't at least cut these deficits now, cut some of this spending now, when things are fantastic, when we've had the greatest economic growth of all time, how are we going to ever cut it? How are we ever going to cut anything if we can't do it right now? But it's just a, a perfect example of how, you know, Michael Malice is saying that conservatives are progressives driving the speed limit. All of these programs, the Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all the welfare programs, all the entitlements, all of this stuff, Republicans were at least initially against. And once, once the government introduces one of these programs, and injects itself into our lives just a little bit, it gets harder and harder for us to resist it. It gets harder and harder for people to envision their lives without it. And now there isn't any Republican talking about cutting Social Security, cutting Medicare, cutting Medicaid. We can't touch those. We can't live without those. No, no. With each government intrusion into our lives, it becomes more and more difficult for us to resist it. We get accustomed to it, and it becomes harder and harder to imagine life without it. You know, he talked about the only thing that Donald Trump mentioned that I liked, that I, that I supported, was when he talked about uh, public schools, and he referred to them, uh, public education, as government schools. Failing government schools. That was glorious. That people haven't heard that term before. I was seeing people on Twitter like, what is he talking about? Government schools. Does that mean like these are government roads and these are government parks? Yes, yes, that's what that means. All public shit is government run. So start thinking about it that way. But you know, he's talking about these, these failing government schools and and people are up in arms about this. Uh, people, when when you start talking about privatizing education, getting the government out of education, all of these uh, Democrats, even some Republicans, mostly liberals, get all up in arms. They can't imagine life without the Department of Education. Do you know that the Department of Education was created in the 1970s? I mean, now it just seems like, where would we be? It's impossible to envision Uh, life educating kids, the free market educating kids without this huge government federal department that's only been around for 50 years. Uh, Okay, but how did everybody get educated before then? Uh, What were we doing before the 1970s? The income tax is another great example. We didn't have an income tax before 1913. We still had roads, we still had education before the Department of Education. We still had all kinds of things before we had an income tax. And libertarians face this problem all the time, right? All we want to do is eliminate things. We, the, the government's doing something. We want to cut that. We want to cut entire departments. And, and people freak out about this because they've become so accustomed to the government providing it. They can't imagine life without it. Who will build the roads if we privatize them, right? And the truth is, none of us actually know how things would shake out in a free market, but that's kind of the point. The The point is, we don't have enough personal knowledge to know what uh, millions or hundreds of millions of people, at, all acting in their own self-interest, what that's going to turn out like, or how it should turn out, like the best, most efficient way of doing things. Nobody knows that. That's why this top-down approach, this bullhorn approach of having uh, a few wise overlords in Washington deciding that this is the way things should be done, and we know what's best for you because we're we're so smart and educated or whatever. But nobody knows all that. That's the point. And we we can talk to we're blue in the face about how the free market could provide this or how this could work and how this uh, aspect of society could function. Absent government intrusion, but it's very hard to convince people of this because you have to you you have to get them out of this mindset that they've come so become so accustomed to. I, I one of the the most effective ways of looking at this I, I have found is to you have to compare it to something that the free market is already providing. And then, you know, sort of flip the script. And instead of talking about something that the government's providing and then taking it away and just trying to convince them that the free market could provide it, take something that the free market's providing and have them pretend that the government's providing it and you're trying to make the case that that, that we don't need the government to do it. Shoes are a great example, okay? I forget who I heard use this analogy before, but everybody knows we have millions and millions of kinds of shoes out there. There's a there's tons of different shoe companies. They call it, They come in all shapes and sizes. Women have a million different types of shoes. Men have a bunch of different types of shoes. We got boots. We got uh, you know sneakers, gym shoes. We've got high heels. We have got low heels. We've got you know pointed toes. It doesn't matter. Like there's there's shoes everywhere. Okay, and they're cheap. Even homeless people have shoes, okay? The poorest people among us have shoes. The rich people, they have shoes. They have nicer shoes than poor people in some cases, but everybody has shoes, okay? The market is doing a tremendous job of providing shoes for everybody, and we can all see that. It's tangible, right? But imagine if the the market wasn't providing shoes, and the government was just providing like one drab shitty pair of shoes that everybody had right everybody had these shoes and we had all grown accustomed to them and it had been so long since anybody else had provided shoes that it's now impossible for people to envision life without government provided shoes and and then i come along and and i have to and i have to convince you and i say listen you know these shoes suck They're uncomfortable, they're overpriced. And it's immoral, we're stealing from people to provide shoes for everybody. We don't need this. The free market can provide shoes for everybody. And it will be in greater quantities, in better quality, at lower prices, you'll have more variety. We don't need this government department of shoes. These these shoes could be provided by the free market. And believe me, you'd get better options, you'd get more variety of shoes, they'd come in more sizes and more colors, and they'd be cheaper, and even the poorest among us would be able to afford them. People would give them away for free. You'd donate your shoes to charity, and they'd have shoe drives, and you'd never see anybody walking around barefoot unless it was intentional, unless it was a decision that they were making. And then inevitably you'd have the Bernie Sanders of the world coming out and calling me a, a racist or I hate poor people and I'm anti-shoe and I don't want poor people to have shoes. I just want the rich to have nice shoes and the, the poor be damned and there's no way that like what are you going to do without the Department of Shoes? Uh, you want people to walk around barefoot? That's ridiculous. Uh, what are the poor people going to do? How are they going to get shoes? How how are people going to get to work? How are they going to walk around without the Department of Shoes providing shoes for them? When you, When you put it like that, it seems ridiculous to think that the government has to provide shoes. But unless you already knew Unless you already had an example of the free market providing unbelievable shoes, unbelievable quality of shoes at unbelievably cheap prices. They're so cheap that people are just giving them away. Unless you have that example, it's hard to envision it. Nobody could have predicted that we'd have a, a thousands of different types of shoes. There's, I just bought some golf shoes a couple months ago, and I, I was choosing between like 30 different kinds of shoes just, just for golf. Do I want rubber cleats? Do I want metal cleats? Do I want this brand or that brand? How much do I want to spend? Uh, I mean, the possibilities in a free market are always like practically endless. But nobody can predict that before you let the market function. And and when the government steps in and takes over a role and, and forbids the market from functioning in that area... Well, then it's, it, it's really difficult to, to, to envision the way it would work or the way it wants to work and, and to try to explain to people be like, look, the market will provide this for you, just like it provides shoes. It will provide X, Y, and Z, like it does with everything else. But that's never good enough for people. We have to explain down to the detail how every shoe would look and guarantee that there'll be yellow shoes and green shoes and, and big shoes and small shoes. and It's just never enough for them. But their inability to not grasp the virtues of a free market or their inability to be able to envision how a market would function in a certain area is not an argument against it. Don't forget that. And I don't think it's fair to put the burden on libertarians or ANCAPs to prove that the the free market would be a better alternative when you have this immoral government functioning right now based on theft, based on force. I think that the burden should be on them to justify why we need to steal from people in order to provide X, Y, and Z. I don't know why I just went on that whole... Uh, oh, yeah, because of the Department of Education. Yeah, the, the failing government schools. Um, the, the thing about school is, uh, these government schools, they're, they're failing in terms of actually educating kids, but they're not failing in terms of schooling them. And there is a difference. There's a big difference between learning and schooling, okay? They aren't failing at schooling kids at all. And if you know anything about the history of school in America, or where this, this whole idea of how we school kids comes from, um, I think I've talked about this before a little bit on the podcast, but our entire school system, this, this whole thing about compulsory education from uh, kindergarten through uh, high school or whatever, this all came from the Prussian model. In Prussia, the the precursors to the Nazis, okay, they they were having a lot of trouble, okay, with their with their um soldiers because they were trying to conquer all this territory, right? And they were going into all these battles, and they were running up against Napoleon at this point. And Napoleon had a professional standing army, and uh, the the Prussians, uh, these guys were were getting a little scared. And these, uh, these kids that they were, they were drafting into their military were doing crazy things, you know, like running away from cannon fire, okay? And they weren't just uh, willing to just die for their state, for some uh, king or queen could conquer some more territory. That, that didn't come as naturally to them. So what the Prussians did was they came up with this model, and they called it schkool. Okay. And the whole idea was to take these kids from a very young age and just drill at nationalism, obedience, conformity, you know, instruction. We're going to have them memorize things, regurgitate things. You want to please your inst- instructors. This whole thing was designed to create an obedient soldier for the state. That's what their goal was. Okay. And what we did was Horace Mann. Uh, Horace Mann goes over there. He's he's the godfather of ed, of the uh, United States education. He goes over there and he sees this model and he brings it back. Why? Do, he he's all excited about this. He's like, you you should see what's going on over there. Uh, they they've got this model. They call it school, and they've got all these obedient kids. And yes, they're using it for all these nefarious purposes that they could just uh, send these kids to war. But I think we could, we could use it and, and just make a few tweaks to it and get, that, get all of our kids to support what our government wants them to support, a Republican form of government. That was the idea. That, that's always been the idea. And look at the result. I mean, it is virtually impossible to, to have... Like, I, I now have to do... With this podcast, my goal is to undo... 20 plus years of government schooling of people. You wouldn't believe the amount of resistance that I get to this. All libertarians face this because some people have broken through. They've been red-pilled. They've gotten out of the matrix. But to try to get through all of the indoctrination going on at these schools, intentional indoctrination, and a lot of it's very subtle. You might not even notice it, but it's there. And it just, the effects of it are, are so uh, ingrained in our society. It's very difficult to overcome now. I mean, how do you explain? How do you explain people still believing in socialism after the 20th century? After all of these failed experiments, after guys like Ludwig von Mises have just eviscerated the whole notion of socialism? How do you explain people still believing in this nonsense? All of these Bernie Sanders supporters, Elizabeth Warrens, how do you explain that if not for government indoctrination centers, if not for government being in charge of education? And why do you think they all, they want to be in charge of education? And why do you think people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and all these stuff now they want... You know, uh, compulsory education, the pre preschool. They want to. They basically want to take your kids from the second you give birth and get them into these schools. And they want to go. Uh, man, they want college to be free now, so they can keep you even longer, and 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 complete your transition over into communism, and into allegiance to the state. They, the longer they have you, the the better chance they have of beating obedience and conformity and and, uh, subordination to the state into you. And the earlier they get their hands on you, the better, the easier it is to get you to believe in all of their nonsense. So they're not failing at all in their actual goal of school, but they are failing in terms of um, educating people and and turning out people who can think for themselves and who can do more than just um, follow instructions and look toward their wise overlords in Washington to tell them how to live, to what to do, where to work, what to believe, how to think. Anyway, I guess those are my thoughts on the State of the Union address. The real State of the Union is basically just the opposite Donald Trump claims it to be. And I think we should break up. I I think that is the only way that this, um, this should end. The, the best thing that could happen is to break this union up. It is over. This is like a bad marriage. I don't know why we're trying to, to keep this thing alive. We need to cut bait as they say. But um, Speaking of our union never being stronger than, than it is right now uh, the Senate voted uh, almost exclusively along party lines not to remove Donald Trump from office the only Republican to stray from the party line was the stunning and brave Mitt Romney, ladies and gentlemen. He is just so stunning, so brave, he is getting a slobberfest from the left-wing media and the corporate press because he, he voted his conscience and... You know, he has this deeply held religious belief and this devotion to the Constitution and his oath to to uphold the Constitution and defend it, and he just couldn't bring himself to to not vote to remove Donald Trump from office, right? So this has earned him that, you know, he started out when he was running for president against Barack Obama in 2012, he was a racist he was an out of touch billionaire he was you know this heartless guy who was like abusing his dog or something and this private equity guy who was ruining people's lives and, and uh, he would buy these companies and fire everybody he was evil he was satan now of course now that he's anti trump he gets the the democratic nod the the nod from the liberal press okay yeah, they have the lowest, the lowest standards for bravery ever. I mean, let's, let's run through Mitt Romney's bravery, shall we? Because he was anti-Trump. He, he was against Trump. He came out and gave a speech at, at one of the conventions, one of the Republican conventions, about how you should never vote for Trump. Vote for anybody other than Trump. Okay, so he was anti-Trump in like 2016, 2015, leading up to the election, right? When the vast majority of people were anti-Trump, right? And then uh, once Trump got elected and he dangled the Secretary of State in front of Mitt Romney, all of a sudden, Mitt Romney's pro-Trump now. And now he's going to kiss the ring. He bends a knee, he kisses the ring when Donald Trump flirts with the idea of making him Secretary of State. And then Donald Trump, being the the Donald Trump that he is, he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I was just kidding about that. I'm not giving you, I'm not making you Secretary of State. I just wanted to make you kiss my ring. And you did, like a little bitch. And that is at the heart of the Mitt Romney hate for Donald Trump. As Donald Trump made him look like the little bitch that he is. He came out anti-Trump. Trump Trump dangles his job in front of him. And he kisses the ring. He bends over. And then Trump pulls it back. Nah, I was just kidding. Uh, okay, so now he's anti-Trump again. Now, now that Trump pulled that job away from him, and uh, Donald Trump's being impeached, now he hates Trump some more. Uh, okay, that that is just so stunning. and so brave. You're you're such a brave guy, Mitt Romney, and in uh, your deeply held religious belief in, in Mormonism of all religions to be, I mean, I'm not the a very religious person. Uh, I'll come right out and say that. There, I there are like some of the people that I respect more than anybody else in the world do have very religious uh, beliefs. So I don't like to belittle religious people, even if I, I personally don't understand the attraction of it. But even uh, the religious people I know make fun of Mormons. I mean, even you could be the most the most pious person on the face of the earth. Take a look at Mormonism and just laugh your ass off. I mean, Mormonism of all the religions is easily the most ridiculous. Easily. Some 12-year-old boy just makes the whole thing up, found found some uh, some scripture out in the woods or whatever that stupid story is. <laughs> you have this deeply held religious belief. Uh, oh, okay. Okay, Mitt. Okay, Mitt. Yeah, you're, you're so brave now that you get this whole, the entire mainstream media is, is just slobbering all over you. Yeah, okay. You're so brave and you're so strong that you have to hide behind your religious beliefs now. You won't stand behind the facts at play. No, no, it, it's because of your deeply held religious belief. I mean, the notion that Mitt Romney is brave because he moves away from the Republican Party, when that, in fact, puts him in lockstep with all of the mainstream media, all of the corporate press, all of the Democratic Party, all of Hollywood, uh, like the vast majority of society that hates Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's real brave, right? You know, I understand why Republicans are, are upset with him and, and whatever, but you know, you had your chance to get rid of Mitt Romney in 2012, and you could have voted in Ron Paul for president, and we could have had the greatest president of the United States the, that we've ever had. And the State of the Union addresses would have been incredible. And maybe we could have actually rolled back some of this government a little bit, like actually cut things. Uh, But no, no, you went with Mitt Romney. a Mitt Milktoast Romney, who is just the worst. He's the worst. He's just spineless. He's a spineless coward. He's always been spineless. Remember the whole binders full of women thing and him apologizing to the left for all that? He's the worst. So forgive me if I don't have too much sympathy for you guys. But anyway, um, so unsurprisingly, Donald Trump was not removed from office. All the Democrats voted to do that. All the Republicans, absent Mitt Romney, voted to not do that. Both sides, This, I mean, this has always just been clearly a partisan thing. There's no surprise there. Democrats get to slam Republicans because, you know, they they care more about the party than the constitution and the country and then the Republicans get to slam the Democrats for this being like totally a partisan hack attack and they all get to fundraise off of this and and pull in more of your hard earned money as if the the taxes they're stealing from you aren't enough. So they're all getting rich off of this. And then there's just all the political theater. You know, they get to use that to pin us against each other. Have us fighting over meaningless political theater, just like with the Nancy Pelosi, Nancy the Ripper, right? Uh, this is all just nonsense. This is all just a distraction. While they fucking rob us blind. And then we got the Iowa results in. Well, maybe we did. We're, we're still not sure now. We thought we had them last night. Now there's talk of a recanvass. But late last night, they claimed that they had 100% of the votes counted. Everything was in. Why they decided to report 62%, I will leave that to the conspiracy theorists they reported on, uh, was it Tuesday, with with 62%. Why they stopped at 62% and, you know, instead of 60% or 70% or whatever, I will leave that to the conspiracy theorists. It would be, you know, I will say this, that, you know, if it was just pure incompetence, you would think that at least some of the mistakes that, that took place would work in Bernie's favor. But, but no, all the mistakes just happen to go against Bernie. His luck is, is basically as bad as mine when it comes to um, vote counting. But it is hilarious that all we hear about Especially in the last few years under Trump, is how precious our democracy is and how we need to protect it and respect the process. And we can't undermine it. Remember, that was a big thing not respecting the results. That was undermining democracy. They made a big deal about that. You know, Donald Trump hinted at, at not respecting the outcome of the election. That was sacrilege, right? Undermining the holy sacrament of democracy. It's a, it's a cardinal sin as far as the statists are concerned. And then you actually get to see this whole process. And it's a complete dumpster fire. A, a complete shit show. I mean, they're, they're, they're flipping coins. I saw this one video of this guy flipping a coin. And then he reached into his hand and played around with the coin. He flipped it over like two or three more times. He was probably feeling to see which side was heads and which side was tails. And these people are watching him. They don't seem to care. And then, of course, it's just uh, Pete Buttigieg gets the coin toss. He won all the coin tosses, by the way. I think there were three. Um, He won all three. Uh, Okay. (laughs) This is our precious democracy. We cannot undermine it. But the big story to me, other than um, all the chaos, I guess, is that Joe Biden just flopped. He did a faceplant in Iowa. He did horrible. I mean, he barely beat... Amy Klobuchar, okay, Joe Biden, who was polling a- a- as one of the front runners, like he was neck and neck with Bernie Sanders, and he took fourth place. Fourth place. Uh, I got. I'll pull up the results here because he was the you know he's the establishment pick. He was, if you remember, back to the days of the Jew and the Gentile version of the podcast. He was Johnny the Jew's pick for the um, the nominee. And, I mean, I get, I get it. This is just Iowa. But, um, and, and, like, I, I made the point on the last podcast, a lot, of pres, a lot of people who have gone on to become president did not win Iowa. But, man, I don't know how many, um, how many people that come in fourth place in Iowa who barely beat out Amy Klobuchar have actually gone on to win the presidency. He is just, I mean, I've said the entire time that he was dead on arrival. I mean, he can't even do well in Iowa, which is just, like, old and white. You would think that he would, he would be up there, at least in the top three. Couldn't even crack the top three. He is a relic uh, of an old system. He is emblematic of everything that the Democratic Party used to represent, and they don't want it anymore. And the establishment ha- has not caught up to this. They still like the guys like Joe Biden, Amy Klobuchar. Those are their picks, but the voters, they don't want that, okay? They want Bernie Sanders. They want Elizabeth Warren. They want Pete Buttigieg, apparently. Um, Pete Buttigieg is kind of like what it, the old establishment thinks young people want, like this uh, really uh, proper and prim politician who says all the right things. He's well-spoken, and he's just like so toast and boring. I don't think they want him either. But it, like I said, it wasn't a surprise that he did fairly well in in Iowa just because of, of the dynamics of it, right? And And the final results were, let's see, Bernie Sanders won the popular vote. But he did not get as many delegates as Pete Buttigieg. So we'll see. It'll be funny to see if the Democrats put their money where their mouth is, you know, because they always talk about how they hate this electoral college system and the popular vote should win. We want a pure democracy. Uh, okay, give Bernie Sanders all the delegates then, because he won the he won the uh, popular vote. He had forty three thousand six hundred seventy one votes. That's almost twenty five percent. Pete Buttigieg had thirty seven thousand five fifty seven. About 21%. Then Elizabeth Warren coming in third with 32,533. About 18.5% of the vote. And then Joe Biden with 26,384. 15% of the vote. Okay. Amy Klobuchar, 22,466. And then it just goes way down from there. Andrew Yang had about 8,800 votes. Got about 5%. Nobody else is even worth wasting my breath on. In terms of delegates, let me just a second here, let me pull this up. Pete Buttigieg gets 13 of the delegates. Bernie Sanders gets 12. Elizabeth Warren, 8. Joe Biden, 6. Amy Klobuchar, 1. So there are 40 delegates declared. Those are the numbers as they stand right now. However, just when you thought things couldn't get any worse in Iowa they have, uh what's his, i forget the guy's name perez tom perez i think it is something like that the guy in charge of this whole iowa debacle has come out and said that they they are entertaining the idea of re-canvassing the iowa caucus which means they're going to and they've just extended the amount of time they were supposed to have a deadline of this afternoon for candidates to um challenge the the outcome of iowa and they've extended it to monday so now uh chances are these are going to get challenged i and um we'll see what happens if they're going to recount these votes or whatever and, and see if, if bernie gets more delegates or not because i mean he does have six thousand more votes approximately so uh, and there's a lot of shady stuff going on we'll see if they can they can figure out a way to um Well, I mean, here's what's going to happen, right? The media is, by delaying it to Monday, it gives the media another day and the whole weekend to sort of run with their narrative of Mayor Pete having this big victory. I mean, they're both out, Pete's out there and, and Bernie, they're both out there claiming victory. There's a very thin margin in terms of percentages separating them. And now the media gets to do this whole, look at Mayor Pete. He's really got all this momentum and blah, 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 blah. And they can ignore Bernie. They can focus on Mayor Pete. And then a lot of the money, what what you're going to see happen now, now that it it, it looks like a two-party race and and the the leading favorite of the party, Joe Biden, fell flat on his face, Mayor Pete's going to start getting some big donor money. This is really going to light a fire under his campaign because all this money's got to go somewhere, right? And now that it's confirmed that Biden is a loser, none of that big donor money's going to go to him. It, that's going to dry up real quick, and he was already having problems getting funding. And all of the, all of Biden's money, all of Klobuchar's money, that's going to start flowing to Mayor Pete, and that will allow him to to. Uh, Garner a lot more support. That, along with the uh, corporate press's backing, we'll see if he can if he can uh, steal this from Bernie. It's going to be pretty interesting. See what happens down the stretch here, because none of that money's going to Bernie. I mean that's that's basically a given. Uh, Bernie is a grassroots movement, right? He he builds his campaign on the back of the working man. That's always been his thing. He he takes money from poor people. The very people that will suffer the most under his ideology. That's the ironic thing, right? And it always amazes me that, A, these people give money that they can't really afford to lose to candidates' political campaigns. I mean, is there any bigger waste of money than donating it to a politician? You might as well just light that shit on fire. At least you'll get a little heat from it. You could heat your house for like 10 seconds. They're giving like fifty, twenty-five, fifty, hundred-dollar increments. These are the people that could least afford to just squander money, and they're giving it to Bernie Sanders of all people. And then Bernie, it, it, and then my the second thing that always amazes me, or I guess B because I started with A, Bernie is such a shameless scum politician that he has no qualms about taking money from about fleecing the poorest people in America in order to become president of the United States. He wears it as a badge of honor, actually. He's not ashamed of this at all. He brags about how he's, he isn't taking in any corporate money, any big donor money, how he's got the, the largest donor base, all these small increments coming in, how poor people are funding his campaign. I mean, wouldn't, it, wouldn't you want to truly be like a Robin Hood to these people? and take donor money from all these billionaires and these evil corporations? Go ahead, take their money. Take their money and use it to fund your campaign to become president and then shower the poor people with all of these government gifts, right? All these programs and free this, free that. Uh, why wouldn't you do it that way? Uh, why are you taking all this money from poor people who can't afford it and blow it on all your bullshit campaigning? They're probably going to screw you out of anyways these people are going to get no no return on their investment whatsoever. I don't know. It uh, always boggles my mind. But if you listen to any Bernie Sanders supporter, uh, they, they'll boggle your mind in a few different ways. The the mental gymnastics they have to go through in order to get past all of his inconsistencies. I got into a little spat on uh Facebook. I don't know, some of you who are friends with me on Facebook might have seen it. And um I try to avoid those things like the plague, but I, I was bored. I don't know if it was Friday night or Saturday night, and I was just kind of sitting around, and, and I came across this thing. I just asked them. I was like, "Doesn't you know? Doesn't the fact that Bernie Sanders is a hypocrite bother any of you guys? This guy's a big Bernie Sanders supporter." Of course, I didn't get an answer. I just got some straw manning, and we went back and forth. But uh, it, just amazing how none of them can see through all of his bullshit. But I don't know. It takes all kinds, as they say. But Joe Biden is going to have a real tough go of it, if Iowa is any indication. And, and I don't see why it wouldn't be. He's basically the Democratic version of Jeb Bush in, in the 2016 election. I mean, it took Donald Trump taking a couple swings at Jeb to just totally pants him and bring him down, to, to put him down for the count. Biden is so weak that he's knocking himself out. He's knocking himself out. He can't answer simple questions. He's stuttering. He's old. He, he is just done for. I don't see him in this race at all. I think it's pretty clear that it's going to shake out to be a two-person race now. You got Bernie Sanders and um, Pete Buttigieg, which, which is also pretty weird because why? I mean, Mayor Pete, right? Uh, South Bend, Indiana? You don't run for, you don't go from being a mayor of some dump in Indiana to running for president. Like, that's not like a normal leap that people make. That, that That's something that happens to a person who's been approached, who's been approached by the party, by the establishment, to be like sort of our guy. So it's no, it's no wonder that there's all this uh, shady stuff going around these Iowa caucuses to try to get him... The advantage. But nobody in the Democratic race is really throwing bombs at each other. Uh, they were too busy punching at Donald Trump. And since, you know, it's been such a weak, boring lead up in, in these primaries and all these debates, none of them are going to be f- in fighting shape when it comes to Donald Trump. Whoever gets this nomination, Donald Trump is going to have his way with them. Uh, and there, there's another debate tonight, actually, as a matter of fact i think it's four days before new hampshire which is the next primary and there's a democratic debate tonight a friday night debate i'm sure nobody will be watching that but it'll be interesting to see what what joe biden does because he's gonna try to come out swinging at, at mayor pete and um we'll see if if bernie has any fight in him because he's getting screwed once again out of out of this stuff but he he never seems to bring this up. That would be the strongest thing that he could do, is just come out and be like, listen, they stole this, ele- this nomination from me last time. They stole it for Hillary Clinton. That's the reason why you have Donald Trump. And now they're trying to steal it from me again. This is bullshit. And he never makes that case. He just talks about billionaires. <laughs> it used to be millionaires and billionaires until he became a millionaire. Now it's just the billionaires. But, um, yeah, I'm going to have to check and see if Johnny the Jew still thinks Biden's going to pull this out. I, I don't see it happening. I, he might not win anything. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just don't see how anybody could vote for that guy. He's such a buffoon. But I'm I'm sure he'll... Uh, he's not that far behind in the delegates, like I said, but I, I think the writing is on the wall that he doesn't have it. And, and the more... The more he loses, the more people are going to be drawn from him to Mayor Pete. The more Bernie Sanders wins, the more people from Elizabeth Warren will be drawn to him. So he's going to get all Elizabeth Warren's support. Mayor Pete will get what little support Joe Biden and Amy Klobuchar have, most likely. And we'll see where this goes. It's going to be interesting. We'll see if uh, New Hampshire can get their act together. Maybe not use a, a corrupted app that was funded by the Clintons and the Mayor Pete Buttigieg campaign manager or whatever. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to wrap there, guys. Happy Friday. Don't forget to download and subscribe. Share the show with your friends. Follow me on Twitter. Man, you've been missing out if you're not following me on Twitter. I've been crushing it, if I do say so myself. The handle is at Pedal Fiction. And you can become a supporting listener to the show if you go to pedalingfictionpodcast.com. And if you can do all that, I will be back next week to do this all over again. Until then, just remember to keep on pedaling that so-called fiction.